It's Monday, April 4th. Welcome to Market Forward. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman, and from Billion Dollar Portfolio, Jason Monday. Uh, Monday. Hey, I'll stick with that. Jason, Jason Monday. Jason fine. Moser. Can you tell I haven't had enough coffee? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jason Moser in the house. Happy Monday, gents. Yes, indeed. It's Merger Monday. Merger Monday really living up to its bill in 2016. <laughs> it is. We've had a Heavy lot. Hitters. Of, a lot. Uh, we'll dip into the full mailbag and we'll get to a pretty interesting story involving Staples. But let's start with the merger of the day, which is Alaska Air buying Virgin America in a deal worth $4 billion. And apparently JetBlue was in the bidding for this. And unless, Jason, we're going to see a repeat in the airline industry of what we've been seeing in the hotel industry, <laughs> and there's more back and forth, and then we have to come back next week and talk about, well, JetBlue had a higher offer. But this this does appear to be a done deal, and uh, certainly if you're if you're Virgin America, if you are a shareholder of Virgin America, you are having a really good day. Sure thing, and I think if you're Richard Branson, you're probably feeling pretty good about this too. Yeah. Um, it was it, it, we had talked about with the the whole Marriott Starwood Anbang back and forth. Uh, it was really nice to be in Starwood's position because they obviously had the asset that people wanted. And I think in this case, uh, Virgin was very much the same thing. This was a property that was in demand, um, and, and Alaska Air and JetBlue were going back and forth for it. And, and I think I think this makes sense. I mean, Alaska Air is the bigger operator, and um, financially speaking, it's just the balance, its balance sheet is in better shape. So, I, I think that, on the whole, this, this makes sense. I, I think if JetBlue kept on going back to the well here, it'd probably become a little bit more than, than they could uh, handle. But, I, I guess my biggest problem, when I look at this from an investor's perspective, my biggest problem with airlines as an investment is that it seems like, as we go forward, there's no real discernible competitive advantage when it comes to airlines. Possibly customer service or or rewards for your miles, but even that really, even the lines are becoming blurred. There, I think the number of travelers who care primarily about getting the best deal, uh, I think that number far outweighs the number of travelers who would consider themselves loyal to a particular airline. I'm not denying the fact that there are loyalists out there, but I just think the people that care about getting a better deal outweigh. That number. So to me, and I think that trend is continuing. I think more and more people really just they care about getting a good deal with an airline they know that is going to get them there in one piece. I don't think any of us gets on a plane anymore and expects much. We just want to get on the plane and Not get much. there, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, I, it, I hearken back to this tweet that I saw you send maybe a month or so ago. I think it was for the trip to Austin. It, you were tweeting the airline, and it was something to the extent of, "Hey, thanks a lot for being four hours late. Four hours late. Now I'm sitting next to this guy." And you post a picture <laughs> of a guy who just took his shoes off. Yes, and and so that to me, just like. That really is the the that epitomizes sort of air travel these days. You're just not ever really going to win at the end of the day. Just get me there safely at a reasonable price. Let me go off topic for one second. So one of the podcasts that I listen to from time to time is uh, Bill Burr, who's a comedian. Yes, the Monday Morning Podcast. <laughs> that's right. And that's that's where I picked it up was because one uh, and uh, Bill Burr. It's just him on his podcast. It's him talking for an hour. And he'll go down little tangents, that sort of thing. But he'll he'll hit different topics, and 
he'll go on some of these rants, and he went on this stretch where he just and I'm not going to use the language that he used, but why not? Use your imagination <laughs> because because Bill's uh, podcast is designated with the little red E that says explicit, and we try and keep it family friendly Surely. here on Market Forward. But he just went off on because he's a comedian. He flies around a lot, and he went off on people who get on a plane, and the first thing they do is they take off. Their shoes or the, like their bare feet. He just kept calling them animals. He's like, these animals, these animals. And so that was the thing where I was just like, oh, and you know, on top of on top of the delay, this is who I'm sitting next. I was to. actually going to bring that up too, except it was from one of his stand-up specials I saw on Netflix like a month ago. Yeah. It just like instantly clicked when you're talking about taking your shoes off. Yeah, I mean, I have a personal. I personally have a pretty good feeling when it comes to Alaska Air. I've I've not ever. Taken a flight intentionally with them, but we in heading out to Hawaii last year, we had a little bit of a snafu here getting out of DC and reshuffled a few things. And we got out to Seattle. We then took from Seattle to Hawaii in Alaska Air flight. It was not supposed to initially be an Alaska Air flight, but they were extremely uh, friendly. We got there. Our bags were left back somewhere, of course, because traveling. Yeah. And uh, Alaska Air's customer service was extremely helpful, extremely friendly. I pinged them on Twitter a couple of times, just very responsive. So, I, I mean, the one experience I had with them was, was, was really outstanding. Some of the things that I read about it, though, the concerns were that, A, a lot of overlap on flights between these two, both West Coast mainly, whereas JetBlue has more East Coast flights, so maybe you expand your, your uh, regions that you're treating. Um, and then Alaska, mainly with Boeing Airlines, and they said, that Virgin is mainly Airbus, so maybe some issues there in terms of like saving money on maintenance with the same airplanes. You're you're not necessarily going to see that with this deal. Well, and that's going to be, I think, one of the interesting things to watch uh, if you're an investor and you're looking broadly at this space. And and you touched on it perfectly, Taylor. And it is Boeing and Airbus mm-hmm. because Alaska Air is based in Seattle. That's where this now joint company will continue to be headquartered, Boeing right there as well. So it'll be interesting to see if the next shipment of planes ordered comes from Boeing. Mm-hmm. Um, one other thing I wanted to touch on before we move on, first of all, again, well done if you're a Virgin America shareholder because this this company went public in November of 2014 at twenty three dollars a share, and the buyout price is fifty seven. So yeah. that's a more than a double in about eighteen months. So, so I mean, for an airline stock, that's really <laughs> that's common. phenomenal. I mean. But here's here's a quote I saw from the CEO of Virgin America that that got me thinking about not necessarily, hey, I want to run out and buy a basket of airline stocks, but it, to me, it points to the one of the potential opportunities for investors in airlines, and that was, um, he said. And this is a quote from a, a, I think his one of the interviews he did on this, maybe on CNBC, where he said, "It's going to be a long time before you see a new national startup airline because it's impossible to get gates." And that's the thing that I I think it's natural for us to, uh, as investors who travel, for us to think first and foremost about our own experience. Mm-hmm. And you're right, Jason. For the most part, it, unless you are a business traveler, you're doing a lot of traveling. You're you're looking for the best deal. That said, when you think further about the business that these airlines are in and how a big part of their business is getting more gates at more airports, expanding their footprint, it makes me think that, well, you know what? This is um, when we talk about businesses with moats, uh, there are a lot of reasons not to invest in airlines, but not having a moat isn't on the list. No, and I think that's probably one of the most attractive. Parts of this industry. I mean, there are 
a lot of sort of question marks there, but the barriers to entry here are just tremendous. I mean, from a regulatory perspective, from an economic perspective, you can't just go out and start up an airline because, just like you said, I mean, the gates alone, I mean, I guess maybe that's sort of a comparable to like a taxi medallion or something. Taxes are obviously being disrupted to a pretty good extent with Uber, and I don't think you're not going to have digital airports. Sure, but I mean, I think the point still remains that it's not like you just go buy a few planes and start flying. I mean, you have to be able to have a presence at major airports and obviously be able to manage your costs wisely as well. And Alaska Air has a has a good reputation for being able to manage the cost side of the business. If I read correctly, they've never actually had to declare bankruptcy, which I think is pretty special considering the, the majors uh, the majors it's more or less happens like clockwork. And so yeah, from from a barriers to entry perspective, I do think that is just a tremendously attractive part of the of that of that market. It's just the costs involved are always so difficult to manage, and remember, we are in a period of time now where energy prices are extremely low. I I can't help but wonder how this would look if this even would have happened in the face of record high energy prices or or even somewhat higher interest rates. But it is what it is, as they say, and we're here in the present right now. And so I think, with all all of that said, this was a smart deal, and I think it brings together two airlines. That while they won't still be as big as the majors, they will be big enough to compete, and and they seem to me to have a bigger focus on the customer service side, which to me in many cases can be a big differentiator if they can consistently do that. Staples has found a new use for some of its stores, turning parts of them into offices. Staples announced a new partnership in Massachusetts with a company called Workbar, and. Basically, some of their locations are are now going to be carved up, and it's this is something that hasn't made its way, Taylor, into the public markets in a significant way. Mm-hmm. But it's something that we've talked about from time to time: uh, office sharing, uh, sharing resources, that sort of thing. And we're we're seeing it in major cities, and uh, it's pretty interesting to see Staples look at their footprint. I think this is this is a really interesting test for them. I agree, and it's seemingly going to be pretty easy. Both of the companies are, have agreed to three Boston area locations. Uh, the work, you know, you're bringing in new foot traffic. Hopefully, um, they're office workers. You're working in an office supply store, so hopefully you bring in some new revenue on top of the rent that they're going to charge. The deals on on how much they're going to be charging haven't been necessarily worked out, but it looks like they're giving up around ten to fifteen percent of the average floor space of a staple store. To to this um, new deal, um, and they're following in the footsteps of I guess what Macy's and Sears have tried, allocating some floor space, renting it out to other um, either retailers or other office space um, companies as well. So it seems unique. The revenue's been declining the last four years. Cash from operations has been declining for the last four years, and they're still trying to close the Office Depot deal for six point three billion dollars. So. Um, at least they're trying, and it seems like a low-cost effort to bring in new foot traffic. They're not building new stores; um, they're just reallocating the use of, of said stores that they already have in existence. So I think it's a small bet that they could easily roll out across more than just three stores if it does seem to work out initially. Don't you think we're going to know this calendar year whether or not this works? Because yeah. if if this test in just three locations, if this works. I have to believe before the end of the year they're going to be announcing more of these. I would think so, and I mean, I think uh, to Taylor's point, I mean, this is a low-cost 
uh, bet on their part. I think it's one that you have to make in this space. I think the traditional retailers with their brick and mortar presence, it's it's not that that physical property is any really less valuable. It's just how you're using it. And and so a decade, two decades ago when when people were more apt to go out physically shopping and looking around in stores. That behavior has just changed dramatically here over the course of the past couple of decades. And so now you just have to figure out something else to do with that property. So you made a great point there with Sears. Sears tried the same thing, leasing mm-hmm. out some of that valuable floor to space. To big retailers like Dick's and even Whole sure, Foods and, sure. and a few others. And, and even you mentioned Dick's Sporting Goods there. Dick's Sporting Goods is doing something similar in that they have this ship from. Um, ship from store initiative now, where they're basically incorporating their e-commerce business in with that big physical infrastructure mm-hmm. that they already have in their stores. So if you place an order online, it's very possible that order would be coming from an actual Dick store right. instead of building like some new distribution center. And we've we've talked about this in MDP as well in regard to Costco. Because for all of Costco's strengths, it is it is the case that people are shopping obviously differently today than they were before, and and so we wonder over the next 10, 20, 30 years, will Costco perhaps look at tying up with other potential businesses to to form partnerships to be able to utilize that physical space to leverage it to 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 bring more sales through an e-commerce model? I mean, those are things that you have to try. Uh, because because you already have that big physical asset there, it is valuable. It's just you have to figure out different ways to use it. I think today than than you had to uh, before. Before we dip into the full mailbag, uh, earning season kicks off a week from today with Alcoa. One thing you're curious about as we head into this earning season, personally, I don't have a great feel for it at this point. I, I realized when uh, I was watching CNBC this morning, they were talking about earnings season, that I didn't have a great handle on mm-hmm. sort of the, the expectations. Whereas, three months ago, I remember thinking, I don't think this is going to go very well. I thought you were going to say you don't have great expectations. <laughs> that seems to be kind of the vibe out there right now. Um, I noticed that. I mean, it seems like expectations are pretty low, and and maybe that's a good thing. I mean, maybe expectations are so low that it's kind of a low hurdle to clear for a lot of these businesses. It doesn't sound like the expectations for growth are all that high, but we know how that expectations game plays out. I mean, a company can announce earnings that miss expectations, but in the call they talk about forward guidance and how they see a brighter day ahead, and the market can receive that. Positively, and it just—it seems like it's just a flip of a coin now these days. How how the market will react to it. Personally, for me, and it's just—I I look at all these share buybacks that have been going on, and so to me, it's just been very interesting to see how buybacks have materialized and how they played out for different companies. Uh, Costco is a good example of a business actually that we were just talking about in MDP recently, and that they keep on buying back shares. But but interestingly enough, their share count has gone up. With a business like that, that is one business where you really would expect that share count to be coming down. Um, Apple has has been buying back shares, and and I think they've seen a little bit more of a material impact on their on their share count. But I was looking back, just historically here, and if you look at the fourth quarter of 2015, the S and P spent 136.6 billion dollars in total on share buybacks, which was 
just a let me see here it was about five a little bit more than five percent over five percent growth from from the year before if you go back to 2008 the fourth quarter of 2008 where the market was really really tanking I mean it looked like the world was almost coming to an end uh, I remember yeah sure I think we all do <laughs> you don't have to look back too far but but it's just interesting to see that share buybacks the S&P share buybacks they only spent about 50 billion dollars versus 136 billion uh, here in 2015 now if you go one year past that the fourth quarter of 2009 when the market actually started getting better it, it, things were improving they spent even less than 50 billion dollars on share buybacks and so this all leads me to my greater point that a lot of companies really suck at share buybacks, Chris. I mean, they don't do a very good job of You're it. saying the timing could be better. It could be way better. And if you look at this chart, it's pretty phenomenal to see that share buybacks actually track the market's performance pretty well. As the market goes up, they keep buying back more shares. That's kind of not what you really should be doing. Uh, and so I'd like to see companies boost the dividend maybe a little bit more. I mean, I know people like those share buybacks, but the share buybacks are still, you're still having to account for some market psychology there because while, yes, it should reduce the share count outstanding, there, there's a psychology at play that determines the share price still. The market is every day determining that share price, and it's not necessarily going to correlate. I mean, in theory, it should, but we know in practicality, it doesn't. Um, so for me, I, I'd like to see some some more dividend boosts here in the coming quarters, as opposed to these companies touting share buybacks because they can do those share buybacks, which can sort of artificially inflate that earnings per share number, which can then sort of artificially inflate the share price because of the multiple factor there. All in all, I mean, this is just a long-winded way of me saying, let's see some more dividends, guys. I wouldn't hate it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, mine isn't uh, nearly as broad as that. Mine is more so hoping the conclusion of a never-ending story um, comes to pass, and that's the Halliburton-Baker Hughes deal. Um, uh, yeah. Obviously, they're not going to talk about it happening in the last quarter during the, during the review. Is that thing still going on? <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> in negative I'm, press. I'm serious. I thought that thing yeah. was done. Negative press deal. keeps coming out. <laughs> I know it's a big deal, <laughs> but I mean, my God, yeah. how much longer are we going to go? Well, the end of this month is is the point where Baker Hughes can officially back out of the deal. Um, <sighs> April, yeah. So this is the last month of the deal terms. It can be extended between the two companies, um, but Baker Hughes could just say, you know what? It's been a year and a half. This just hasn't really gone according to plan. Obviously, we're going to take our three and a half billion dollars and figure out where to spend it. Um, and then Ang Bang sweeps in there and right. makes the offer for oil. <laughs> right. um, so that's. I don't think that they're going to. Maybe obviously they're not going to talk about it in the review, but I imagine a bunch of questions will be there um, during the call if nothing happens before then. Look, if Coca Cola <laughs> once upon a time can buy a movie studio, <laughs> it's it's no less insane that Anbang Insurance would swoop in and try and buy Baker Hughes. Speaking of Coca Cola, did you see that Dr Pepper Snapple Group is upping their investment in that sports drink Body Armor? I think that's like a Kobe Bryant led. Beverage, but it was just very interesting to see. You know, you have Gatorade and Powerade; they've been kind of the one and two names in there. And and then this Body Armor drink is is apparently picking up some share. Hmm. Just you see these big these big soda companies are trying to figure out ways to to not be so dependent on soda now. You know, soda's taking some serious hits. Market Foolery at Fool com is our email address from Drew, who writes: I'm a fool at heart and have embraced the buy and hold concept. My better half and I are planning. A year of travel around the world to take place in 2019. 
I've been saving and I'm putting money away each month towards this sabbatical that I feel will be life-changing. I have my long-term stock investments, but would like to know if you have any recommendations on where I may put this monthly travel money for the short term of three years that is not too risky and that may provide more return than I would receive from a plain old savings account. I know you can't provide specifics, but any suggestions would be greatly appreciated. Keep up the great work and fool on. Just send it to us. Just send it to <laughs> 2000 Duke Street through. We'll give it back in 2019. Yeah, we promise it'll be more. <laughs> now, um, great question, and and wow, that's fantastic that uh, that he and his better half are, are planning that kind of trip. Uh, when I first read his question, I thought to myself, I uh, I don't know, yeah. I don't know, because it is if if the question was we're planning this trip in 10 years, mm-hmm. then I would feel a little bit more confident about saying, well. Take at least some of that money and look to just dollar cost average into a spider uh, ETF, that sort of thing. Three years, not a lot of time, Jason. That's right on that line. That was the same thing I thought. Mm-hmm. Was it just? It's right on that line where you. We always say five years. You know, we say if you have money that you can part with for the next five years, then it's okay to invest that money in the stock market in a. Unfortunately, we're also in the face of this fixed income environment where there just is no other return, and there's just no return on the CDs, no return on the savings account. Money market savings might as well just be a regular savings. There's just there's nothing there. Um, so I certainly I, I applaud what you're doing here. The saving, the goal. I mean, it all sounds so fun, and it sounds like it sounds like he's pretty excited too. And and I would be that that. Uh, the market is doing very well right now. I mean, I could see a scenario where you would take this money and invest it in an S&P index fund and over the course of 3 years I mean anything can happen, right? I feel like we've probably learned a decent lesson to where we're not going to see a great recession like market drop. But Anything is possible, and and I think the key here is no matter what, you've got to put yourself in a position where you're not going to be a desperate seller. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the charts of the S and P over time, it actually doesn't look all that bad. If you look at the two year chart, uh, you you could see some certainly some great opportunities in there along along the the months, and you could dollar cost average like you mentioned over three years, it looks even more attractive. Over five years, it looks even more attractive. Um, but past performance is no guarantee that the future will, will will be the same. And and I I just the bottom line is you can't put yourself in a situation where you're going to be a desperate seller because then you're going to be really kicking yourself. Perhaps the solution is you don't invest all of it. Maybe maybe if you want to try to maximize the return on some of it, maybe you take a certain percentage of it, twenty five percent, fifty percent, and then you dollar cost average into something like the S and P index fund. I would not put it in individual stocks. I I, w- I would certainly depend on the the uh, the 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 having just sort of the broad diversity of the S and P index fund right there as opposed to just individual stocks. I was just going to suggest like a dividend fund, but not yeah. all of the money. Just uh, especially if your your idea comes to, comes to fruition with increased dividends rather than increased buybacks. Sure. Um, dividends are cash in the pocket yeah. too. You know that's that's the really nice thing about those. So that would be my idea, but yeah, definitely not all of it. Keep the plane ticket money in cash at least. Good thought. Yeah. From Troy Adamson in Vancouver, British Columbia. 
no April Fools episode. <laughs> it didn't show up in my feed. No, we didn't. We we're Monday through Thursday, yeah, Troy, and is. and April Fools' Day was on Friday. Um, but I feel like I, maybe we could have done but, an April Fool's Motley Fool money. I don't know if that would have been as well received, though. I, no, it wouldn't have, just yeah. because. Well, because it would have gone on air around. Yeah, the radio yeah. stations that air Motley Fool sure. money air, almost all of them air Saturday and Sunday. But I do recommend you check out last Friday's episode of Industry Focus, because that went out on April 1st, and I think you'll have some fun with that. So if you've never checked out Industry Focus before, uh, now is the time. Check out the uh, April first episode from last Friday. What industry is Friday, or is it just uh, just the unique episode? In <laughs> it's uh, it's a pretty special episode. Okay. <laughs> it's it's about uh, some very exciting things going on. Some very exciting investment opportunities in right startups. Okay, that's a little teaser for you. And special guest appearance from a small businessman in Wisconsin by the name of Buddy Swole. So hey. uh, that's all I'm going to say. Jason Moser, Chandler Markman, thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.